Hello everyone and welcome back. Today we are joined all the way from Australia by occupational therapist Dr Louise Colmeyer. So thank you or good evening Louise, thank you for joining us in the evening. It's morning here but thank you for joining. Thanks Andy, great to see you again. Likewise, likewise. So some of you may recognise Louise. Louise has been over to visit us a couple of times here and you're a specialist within the oncology sector but I'm really keen to learn a bit more about you today. So where are you actually from originally? So I'm born and bred in Sydney, Australia. Um, I actually live probably 10 minutes drive now from where I grew up um, in Sydney, in suburbia in the northwest of Sydney. And yes, my children go to the same primary school that I went to. So I haven't left um, my ground very far. Yeah, well, I, I spent some time in King's Cross in Glebe, but I'm sure you weren't in King's Cross all that often anyway. But <laughs> No, I'm a bit of a family person, live out in the suburbs, but we're lucky to have lots of greenery, um, yeah, nice place, nice neighbourhood, sort of a family-oriented area. No, great. Sydney's an amazing place to be, I'm sure. Yeah, I so think we've been really fortunate, actually, living in this country during the COVID period because we're a big island and um, I do send out my thoughts to those in the UK and in Europe and US because I know you've had a, a really hard time with the, the COVID situation, but we've actually been quite privileged and blessed being where we are over this time. Yeah, no, no, we've watched the way that it's been dealt with in different places, but yeah, no, hopefully it's, it's on, it's, well, it, on the up in the terms of we can actually get back to normal life here. But yeah, thanks for that. So in terms of moving into your profession then, did you always want to be an occupational therapist? I often get asked um, by my patients that question, how did I get into occupational therapy and then into lymphedema? I think when I was in high school, I did some work experience in the health sector. So I had a week or two in a hospital setting, going around and visiting different departments. And I think it interested me to be an occupational therapist and was fortunate to get into university. I went to Sydney University to study OT and that led me into the career that I've been in now for over 30 years and really proud to be an OT. So yeah, OT is a really interesting one because we work with a number of different OTs from ham therapy then on the mental side. So at what point within becoming an OT do you think lymphedema is an area that I want to move into? So did I move into or generally? Would well, just like OT is such a broad area. So at what point yeah. during your studies there do you think that oncology is the area that I want to move into? Yeah, well, I think for me, uh, when I graduated, I finished uni on a Friday and I was fortunate to have a job to go to in a large teaching hospital on the following Monday. And as a new graduate, I was in what we call a rotating position. So I had a couple of years rotating in a few different areas within the acute hospital. I started in amputees and moved into geriatric medicine, got my broad grounding of OT skills um, in, a, in a teaching hospital. And then my third rotation was in oncology. And at that time, I worked across all areas of oncology, both inpatient and outpatient, all different types of solid tumours and haematology area. I worked across palliative care, radiotherapy, chemotherapy. So I really, in those days, I was a very young therapist, but got a really broad um, 
range of skills and experience with individuals diagnosed and going through cancer treatment. And that also gave me the opportunity to work with their families and carers as well at that time. And for me, I really enjoyed um, my role there as an OT. There's a huge scope to work in oncology as an OT. And um, I loved it at that time. And actually 31 years later, I'm still working in the area. So I think as an OT, the core um, strengths of an OT are looking at an individual and how a, a condition, whether it's a medical condition, a, a disability impact their life, their whole life. And we look at how we can help assess their physical and functional psychological aspects of their life and how the, in this case, the cancer impacted their condition and their life and then looked at how we could improve the situation for them. And, you know, I was working at this large teaching hospital in inner city, close to probably your, your, um, where you were um, talking about before. And there was a lot of small houses um, very old houses in inner city and a lot of older population were living there. And as an OT, we used to do functional assessments. So we'd go and see how individuals were managing to do their, their activities of daily living. So how they managed to get out of bed, cook, clean, shower themselves, dress themselves, those basic things that to you or I, we don't ever think about because we're physically, functionally in a good place. But when you're impacted by a medical condition like cancer, those everyday things become hard. And so as an OT, I was able to help people to, one, become safe back in their own home, living with, the, the I guess, the reactions and um, disability from the treatment or the actual cancer itself. And I also had the opportunity to take some of these people into their homes to do home visits. And we were able to assess whether they had stairs at the front of their house and couldn't actually get up the stairs. So how were they going to get home if they couldn't mobilise safely, you know, within their own environment? And then we were able to provide them with equipment or assistance, community services, to help make them safe and independent at home. I really enjoyed that. And it was quite a privilege at that time to work with these individuals. Although I think now, um, you know, as a young therapist, you know, how I probably spoke to those people. I was in very much my early days of career um, and I've learned a lot more over the last few years, a bit of life experience, a bit of maturity comes in and I guess that brings, you know, a different outlook when you're working with individuals. But that then led me working in the cancer area into lymphedema and I was able to complete specialist lymphedema training a long time ago and that then led me um, you know, through a 30 plus year career working in lymphedema and all aspects of lymphedema, which has been really challenging and interesting and really rewarding. Mm. So in terms of that, then, how does that transition to lymphedema come then? So you're seeing cancer patients, but then how, how does that move you to a relatively to small niche to some extent because cancer is such a big area? Yeah, well, I guess in the cancer area, and remember when I went in, it was 30 years ago, cancer treatment was very different to how it is now. So I vividly remember as a new graduate therapist going and seeing women in the hospital in inpatient wards after breast cancer surgery 
and they were actually in hospital for two weeks after having a radical mastectomy and an auxiliary lymph node dissection. And they were kept in hospital for two weeks or until their drains were removed. So I was going and visiting them in hospital, talking to them about lymphedema and their risks of developing lymphedema and getting them starting to do exercises to help improve their shoulder mobility, help with fatigue and getting them functionally independent. Whereas these days, we very rarely do inpatient chemotherapy. We very rarely have patients in hospital for the, more than a night or two after having an auxiliary dissection. So the whole healthcare and management of cancer has changed. And I guess getting into lymphedema, it was just a, a natural transition at the time because we were seeing these breast cancer patients. They were coming to us with big, fat, swollen arms after having breast cancer treatment. And so it seemed the right thing to do if we could try to reduce the swelling and the associated symptoms that they were getting, then hopefully we would help them more functionally, help their quality of life, help them reduce symptoms and get them back living a, a fuller um, independent life. So, um, you know, it was back in those days, it was early days of treating lymphedema. Lymphedema didn't come to Australia in the way we manage it now until about the 1990s. So it was the early 1990s when I started working in this area. And um, lymphedema was relatively new. And so, you know, we were excited about exploring this area of management. We started getting um, some good treatment results from managing the symptoms and um, did this training that came out from Germany to Australia. And, you know, it was quite an exciting time because prior to that, lymphedema wasn't an area that we were seeing routinely in our occupational therapy department. And then how was that the, the surgeon's response then to this development of, the, of lymphedema? What was the initial response then? So back in those days, the surgeons and the oncologists were, I guess, happy that we brought this, this new treatment had come to Australia, that we could assess and manage these women to try to give them an improved quality of life and try to reduce the symptoms. I guess back in those days, we weren't talking about early intervention, but we are now. We were really talking about how can we reduce the symptoms, improve the volume, reduce the volume in their limbs, and um, give them better quality of life because they were going to be living with this condition for a long time. And so it was whether we could do lots of intensive treatment of manual lymphatic drainage massage and bandaging to try to reduce the size of the arm or leg, um, knowing that they were still going to live with it for a long time. So they were really keen. They still probably saw us as the little allied health professional down the other end of the hospital, but they would refer their patients who, you know, at that stage had significant symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of that, that your real passion for lymphedema then, so what, once you got in there, what did you see the opportunities being? Yeah, so I guess um, after working in the first hospital I was at for about five years, I then went to another teaching hospital and actually established a lymphedema clinic. So at that time, they didn't have a lymphedema clinic because lymphedema treatment was still relatively new. And I had the opportunity to be able to set up this service. And in, in doing that, 
we were able to form really good relationships with the, the breast cancer multidisciplinary team. And we were then working together on trying to reduce the symptoms. And as a few years went by, then I was introduced to some new technology um, called biomedicine spectroscopy that meant that it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because we were having about 200 new referrals a year of women following breast cancer treatment with significant moderate to advanced lymphedema in their arm. And, you know, we were trying to think, how can we deliver this intensive treatment in a public hospital system with very few resources? And the waiting list was getting longer and longer. And so it was a bit of a light bulb moment to have this new technology come out. I went to a few conferences that this technology was talked about, this concept of a prospective surveillance and early intervention model of care was talked about at conferences. But at that stage, this was about 2002, 2004, I, I sort of had, this sounds really interesting, but I'm not sure how, what it really means for me or my patients. But I sort of kept a keen interest in conference presentations, a few research articles that had been sent to me. And then um, the LDEX um, clinical um, measure was taught to me. And I feel really, really privileged to have been given a lot of education at the time. I think I was probably a very early adopter of the technology. And that meant then that we were able to potentially offer an intervention, a monitoring or screening program that could potentially reduce this condition becoming this chronic problem that I've you know, been working with for several years earlier. So that was a really big moment in my career because I was you know, managing this lymphedema that was quite time intensive, quite physically intensive as a therapist, getting in there doing sort of one and a half hour treatment. You could only see, you know, we, we only saw two patients a day for an hour and a half each because the rest of the day we were seeing follow-up and review patients. So not everyone could have the intensive treatment all at once. So that's where we were having this waiting list of patients who had significant symptoms needing intensive treatment. And... Um, it was a really interesting way of how we were able to transition to try to implement this new model of care because that certainly wasn't easy. And I think that's the challenge even now that sometimes as health professionals, even though there might be a new piece of equipment or some literature, some scientific evidence showing that something may work better than a previous way we might have been doing things, it actually takes a long time to see a translation of that evidence into clinical practice. And I guess I've often shared the story of how that happened for me and what was the response from, you know, very highly esteemed surgeons, oncologists working in the area and how we actually eventually got them on board. So I guess you might be keen for me to share Absolutely. how we did that. Absolutely. So, I'd been given this information, we should be doing this early intervention. We should be aiming to target women at the time of their breast cancer diagnosis. Prior to that, I was never seeing these women at that time. I was only seeing them 6, 9, 12, 
months down the track or sometimes two, five, ten years down the track after they've developed this condition of lymphedema. And so I went to my director at the time, who's a radiation oncologist, and I started sharing and educating him about this new equipment and about this new model of care that I think we being at the time a, a major breast cancer centre with a very high reputation across the country, that we should be trying to implement something like this if we could really try to reduce the symptoms of lymphedema. And there was a little bit of hesitation because in a, a multidisciplinary clinic, you know, it's hard to change normal, you know, routines and behaviours. We were in a multidisciplinary clinic. It was a very busy clinic. So patients were coming in from eight o'clock in the morning to probably four o'clock in the afternoon. Several patients coming in for the one time. In the morning session, women were coming in who were newly diagnosed with breast cancer. And in the afternoon session, women were coming in who were follow-up after they'd had their breast cancer treatment and coming for long-term follow-up. So in the morning, the surgeon saw these patients, the oncologist saw these patients, and the breast care nurses saw these patients. But really, rehabilitation wasn't a routine thing. And really, probably, the women were only referred to physiotherapy if they had really impaired functional movement of their shoulder and they were needing them to get um, some mobilization to get them able to move their shoulder for radiotherapy. So me coming in as a newish member of the team and saying, well, we want to go in and measure them for lymphedema was a little bit of a change of practice and challenge the team because I was initially told that we could do it as a quality improvement project. We have to start small to see whether practically we could get it working um, within the team environment. And we had one young surgeon at the time who was interested in what we were talking about. And I think probably between you and I, he wanted to make his mark in being recognised as doing something else as a, a young surgeon coming into a team. And it was decided after some planning and some development of a protocol that we would start with just one surgeon's patients. And we would try to see his patients when they came in on the day of, when they'd been diagnosed before they had the surgery, that we, we would take these bioimpedance measurements. Back then it was with an older device that we carried in a little carry case. And the proviso was that we weren't allowed to mention the word lymphedema to these patients when we went in to measure them because the general consensus from the multidisciplinary team back in 2005, 2006, was we don't want to alarm women about lymphedema because they've just been diagnosed with breast cancer and they're obviously upset, distressed, anxious about the cancer treatment. We don't want to mention the word lymphedema. And so I went along with that at the time and we started measuring these women going into their room and asking them, could we take a routine measurement? Just like you take your weight and your height before surgery, we just wanted to measure the fluid in your arms. Not mentioning that L word, that lymphedema word. And as we continued doing this project over several months, an interesting fact came up that out of a hundred women that we did the measurement on, 80% of them, so 80 women, said to us when we were taking these routine measurements, is this because of lymphedema that you're taking these measurements? So even though the medical 
profession had thought, don't alarm women about lymphedema, women already knew about lymphedema because as soon as they'd been diagnosed with breast cancer, they had told their family and maybe their, local, their friends and their close support network that they had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And back in that time, lymphedema was a real issue. And so someone within their network had said, well, you better be careful about your arm. You better look after your arm and you better not do things with your arm because you might get lymphedema. So when we went in as the young lymphedema therapist into the breast centre and said, we're just taking this routine measurement, people said, is that because of lymphedema? And that really surprised our medical practitioners because they were the ones that wanted to protect individuals from lymphedema. And in fact, the women were all over it. And when we said, yes, well, actually, this is aimed at trying to pick up the earliest changes in fluid in the arm to try to prevent it from becoming a long-term problem, you could see the instant relief in these women's eyes. And that, I guess, was the starting point for this is something we've got here. We need to make a difference to these individuals' lives and potentially this technology could help us do that. So that's sort of how my journey started, going down the path of early intervention and really um, even up until these days now, I don't do as much of the extensive bandaging um, for severe or moderate to severe lymphedema that we did back then because of implementing this model of care of early intervention. So that's a really interesting story then. So when you started working with, with well, LDEX then impediment, so how many other sites in Australia were using this and worldwide potentially? Yeah, very minimal. Um, there were some academic sites internationally doing some research in this area. Um, the LDEX technology is actually Australian technology. So it was um, used and developed in Queensland. So in the, one of the northern um, eastern states of Australia um, by a scientist that didn't initially develop the technology for lymphedema. It was really lymphedema and this model of care that we're talking about was a really a bit of a byproduct um, of how the technology was initially used. But as I've come to know and learn about, um, it's really changed my practice significantly and changed the lives of individuals um, significantly because when I get to know women when they're going through breast cancer treatment and I say, well, we've got research that supports this, we've got this measurement, which is very quick and easy to do, women feel empowered by getting that objective information. And interestingly, I always write down on a little tracking card the LDEX measurement and I try to give feedback to the individual woman of where their LDEX is tracking over time. Um, they often come back in and, you know, if they forget to bring that little tracking card, they get a bit upset. I'm really sorry I forgot to bring that card. You know, I want to know what my LDEX reading is doing today. It doesn't matter to me because I've got it all documented in my clinical files. But for an individual, it's empowering them. It's giving them education. And that reading in itself can actually help them to make changes to their lifestyle in order to try to reduce the fluid, or help them to exercise a bit more. It's giving them something that they can do and something that they can have control of, often in a period of time in their, their breast cancer journey when they're feeling very out of control. Often while the woman's going through breast cancer treatment, they're being told when you have to come into the hospital for treatment, what drugs you've got to take, what you've got to do at every point along the way. 
And yet with lymphedema monitoring, we're actually giving some of that control back so they can be actively engaged and involved in their treatment. And, you know, they're pretty excited when they know they can have a role to play in reducing their risk of getting this condition. Mm. Yeah, I know you've come to visit us in the UK, but how involved have you been in terms of disseminating this information on a, well, national level, but also on an international level? I guess I've been pretty involved at the national level, but um, over the years now I've been involved in both clinical research and education in this model of care. And I have to say I have absolutely no financial interest in the company that distribute these devices in any way. But I do have to say that using the device has changed my practice and I don't only use the device in early detection and intervention, but I actually use it across all of my lymphedema patients at any stage. I have been known to say that the device is like a black box and it's only as useful as the operator. You have to, anyone operating any technology, I guess, has to have a good understanding of what the technology is measuring, how it works and how to provide feedback to the individual patient. And I think education is really key in doing that. So I've been pretty heavily involved in running workshops and running education sessions. And now we actually do a lot of virtual and online um, units about this model of care and other aspects of education to really get people on board. And I think the implementation phase is where we're at now because I think the evidence is really solid internationally that this model of care is the way to go in helping to reduce the risk for an individual in developing lymphedema. And um, now we need to focus on how we implement it, both in the public and the private sector. Because, um, you know, when I have patients who might come to me after a period of time, they may have been to St. Elsewhere's, as we say, for a treatment, and they've developed a problem with their arm and they come to see me. And after I've got to know them and help support them and what their current problem is, I may say to them that, you know, I normally see women at the time of their diagnosis and give them education and monitoring as they go through their treatment. They can actually feel quite ripped off or a bit upset that they hadn't been offered that um, model of care um, within the, the service or hospital or centre that they've been treated at. So women are pretty um, savvy about getting the best care and women search the internet, women read some of the scientific papers and, you know, I think the science is out there now that we can do a lot in reducing the risk of developing this chronic clinical lymphedema that we saw a long time ago. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned about research there. So you've recently just got your PhD, so major congratulations on, on doing that. So how did that come about? Well, again, in my career, Andy, I, I haven't had a career plan. Things have just come before me and I've taken up opportunities. So I guess um, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would I be sitting in an academic institution directing a, a large lymphedema program and just completed my PhD, I would never have dreamed of it. Um, for me, you know, for many years in um, the last, you know, 15 years or so, I've, I've been a mother and working part-time as a lymphedema therapist. And I was fortunate when I gave birth to my second child that, the surgeons that I worked with in the public hospital 
and had set up this model of care that I've just described, also worked across the private sector. And they came to me when I was on maternity leave and said, Louise, we need to have what you've got in the public hospital with our private patients because the private patients are paying big money for their health care in the private sector. And the surgeons could actually recognise that they weren't offering their patients what we now consider best practice. And so I, I started a private practice and I initially started my private practice 20 years ago and I started seeing patients on a Saturday morning, working four-hour sessions in between breastfeeding my, my very, very young baby at the time. And then my practice changed over the years depending where my children were. So, um, you know, when my children were really little, I might have done short hours in private practice to get back to them. When they went to preschool and to school, my private practice hours changed to school hours so I could drop them off, race to the practice, see my patients, and then race back to pick them up of an afternoon. So I was trying to juggle many balls, but tried to be a mum and, and a therapist. And, and I, during that time, as they then got older, um, I was able to work longer hours and more hours and more days. And um, I was invited to become involved in some clinical research and I had an interest to do some research in this area. And um, after a period, I, I was fortunate to come here to Macquarie University where we established what we now call the ALERT program. ALERT stands for the Australian Lymphedema Education Research and Treatment Program. Alert, so stay alert while I tell you about it. But we have a multidisciplinary program here where we offer a clinic um, offering all aspects of assessment and management and offering conservative and surgical options for lymphedema treatment. Um, we obviously offer an early intervention model of care and we were involved in research. And I was fortunate because I was one of these early adopters in this model of care. I was invited to participate as the, the principal investigator for a large international randomised controlled trial known as the PREVENT study, which initiated out of Vanderbilt University. And I felt pretty privileged to be invited to be part of this study. And this study was going to be a five-year study. And I thought at the time, not thinking of formalised research study myself, but thinking, well, if I've committed to being involved in this international study for five years, that was going to keep me at Macquarie University for that time, maybe I should consider doing some formalised study. And so I enrolled in a PhD. Um, I worked and my own personal circumstances changed through some of that. My husband had some ill health and I became then the breadwinner our family and so I was the breadwinner for the family working full-time and enrolled in a PhD part-time and um, yeah I've just completed that after six years of study and um, the being involved in the international RCT really helped me I, I talk about it as being my fieldwork experience for my PhD because I learned so much I think we can never stop learning and I'm certainly on a huge learning curve all the time. But um, yeah, I love doing the PhD study. And um, it was in this early intervention model of care. And hopefully my research has been able to help um, individuals who potentially are going through cancer treatment and are at risk of lymphedema 
hopefully we can learn from some of the research that I published. No, no, absolutely. No, no, it sounds it's really good. I've enjoyed watching it via LinkedIn and some of the things that have been sent over. So no, it's, it's really exciting. So in terms of the future then for both you and this area, where do you see that going? Uh, I think there's lots more that we can do. You know, it's my vision, and I sometimes get asked, you know, where do I see this going? It's my vision that all individuals who are diagnosed with cancer and who are at risk of developing lymphedema, so that's not just breast cancer, that's breast cancer, gynecological cancers, melanomas, prostate cancers, head and neck cancer, all individuals at risk of developing lymphedema should have access to this prospective surveillance and early intervention model of care. So ideally, they should be seen at the time of their diagnosis for education and monitoring and throughout their treatment and beyond period so that if they detect early changes in symptoms and by the objective measurements, they can have early intervention to hopefully reduce the incidence of them going on to develop chronic lymphedema, those lymphedemas that used to take intensive treatment to manage. So that's my vision. So there's a lot of work to do still. I guess I think a large part of that at the moment is in the implementation phase. So I think in Australia in particular, um, you know, therapists through our education programs that we offer here and, you know, nationally lymphedema therapists are quite a tight body and they're pretty aware of this, this research and there's been some really good work and good education programs put together on it. So, but I think the, 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 the implementation side, getting medical practitioners and multidisciplinary cancer teams on board to make this happen is the key. So I think, you know, we've done a lot of the work and a lot of the research is published in the breast cancer area. And that's often where funding has been for these research studies. But I think we need to pick up the results of what we've learned from breast cancer and then transition it and translate it into those other cancer areas. Because, you know, if we could reduce the incidence of lymphedema by this model, I think we'd be doing a really good job. So there's a lot to do both in Australia and internationally. I think, um, you know, we're possibly a little bit ahead of the, some parts of the world in this area because we've maybe been doing it a little bit longer. But I think if we can um, make a difference, um, you know, we hear all the time that, you know, cancer treatment, the medical management of cancer treatment is so impressive these days that, you know, many individuals survive going through a cancer experience, which is great. However, we do know that some of the intensive treatments that men and women are going through to cure the cancer do give them a lot of treatment-related side effects and what we call survivorship issues. And lymphedema would be in that category of a survivorship issue um, for individuals after they go through the treatment. So if we can reduce one of those survivorship issues, I think that would be fantastic. So a lot of communication with multidisciplinary cancer teams, a lot of education, and then helping people to implement this protocol or the, the way we recommend doing it. Because it's easy to say, yep, we can do that or we can put a device in our clinic. But unless you've got some champions involved in understanding the model 
and being able to transition from an old model into a new model, you know, just changing ways of people referring patients to different disciplines to have this method of measurement happening. You know, anyone can actually take the measurement. So we've got in some of our clinics, some of our admin team or our enrolled nurses or our therapy assistants actually taking the measurements, the LDEX measurements, to get those readings. And what we need to have is a, a protocol in place so that what happens if someone triggers the need for early intervention, then we need to have a plan in place of what happens to give them that early intervention. So it's not, not as easy as just, well, you've got the technology, just go and do it. I think we need to educate and train people and support people in how to implement the model of care in order to make it successful. And I think you need some champions on board to help guide and support people in doing that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, we're, like you say, we're at that phase a, a bit behind you in terms of doing that, but I do feel like that is progressing in the UK. We've definitely got some very passionate people that want to do it. So, um, yeah, it would be absolutely amazing if we could get you involved in that. And certainly with this new way of working, that's that's an exciting opportunity to, to learn from all of the, the 30 years that you've been working with this and, and, and almost 20 with the, the early detection. So, um, no, I really appreciate your time talking about this because it's, it's still great to see that you're so passionate, even though you've you've been doing it for so long. And um, I think that vision that you've got is, is a really exciting one. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to work with you on, on being able to, to implement that. Thanks, Andy. I'm really keen to share the message and to support health professionals to, to take up the challenge. It's not easy to change clinical practice and it's not easy when sometimes this scientific evidence is published in international good journals, but it can take more than 10 years sometimes to see that translation into clinical practice. But the more we can get the message out there, um, and I think in Australia, um, our, one of our peak organisations called Breast Cancer Network Australia, they surveyed 15,000 members to identify what are the top issues for breast cancer survivors in the current times. And lymphedema was one of their top information needs these days. And that was actually presented to Parliament and they actually got some Commonwealth funding um, focused towards lymphedema after they submitted that report because lymphedema is an important issue. And I think we forget, you know, you can hide the fact you've had the breast cancer, but as soon as you put on one of those compression sleeves, you're then showing to everyone that there's something wrong with my arm. Women can sometimes choose whether they decide to say whether they've had cancer treatment or not. Um, some of my patients say it depends on the mood they're in on the day and it depends who's asking them what they might say cause the problem with their arm. Some have said they said it was a shark bite or a burn. Um, others have said, I went through cancer treatment and suddenly the other person who's just asked them backs off and doesn't want to ask them, them anything else. So there's a lot of stigma associated with cancer and lymphedema. And if we can try to reduce the risk of, you know, people having to wear these compression garments and wear them for, you know, 24 hours a day for the rest of their life, then we're doing something positive. Mm, no, absolutely. No, great. No, well, thank you very much for sharing your story on that and the all that information. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to working with you. And, uh, yeah, please keep us posted of any of those developments.
Will do, Andy. Thanks for your time. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. Thanks, Louise. I look forward to coming over to the UK again, hopefully soon. Absolutely, yeah. It's looking more and more likely. So, yeah, always welcome. We had a great week when you came over last time. So, looking forward to the next one. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you.